Okay. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. I'm Paul Christopher Hoppy, a.k.a. Zen Madman, a.k.a. Giant Buddha, poker player, writer, martial artist, blah, 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 blah. And I'll be your moderator for today. With me, as always, is my good friend, the Watson to my Sherlock, the Foggy to my Murdoch, <laughs> Matthew Westfox. Welcome to your own podcast, Matthew. <laughs> Why, thank you, and I appreciate being labeled in all of those ways. Yeah, I was going to come up with a longer list, but it was already <laughs> quite a mouthful. So. I, I mean, I think Foggy and Watson pretty much covers it, you know, fairly well. Right, right. And, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to... We'll, we'll come back to that later in the show. No doubt, Hopefully. no doubt. Uh, our main topic today is identity politics and representation in on-screen comic book fiction. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to uh, give you some of my reactions to the mind-reading and mind-control episode, and thought maybe we could talk about that for about five minutes or so. Yeah, I'd love that. Uh, I know you weren't able to join us last week. A big thank you again to Greg Haley, um, Dr. Greg Haley, whose website... Uh, they're just words. We'll actually be launching uh, by the time this is up, so go check out that website. Um, but yeah, Paul, I know um, would have loved to hear hear you on that podcast. So what what was your thoughts on on the mind control discussion? Well, I mean, I thought you guys did a great job. Uh, I definitely am looking forward to checking out his website, they'rejustwords.com, which sounds like something that I would have written. So <laughs> <laughs> I always like reading things that I might have written. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I think you, you both raised a lot of good points. Um, one thing that I think is really super essential is the line between mind reading and mind control. Yep. Where, to me, mind reading... All right, so all of these things can encompass a wide range of actual specific powers. Uh -huh. But if someone can read minds in a completely non-obtrusive way, the same way um, someone can see someone in a non-obtrusive way, which I guess there's a whole conversation to be had there um, about whether you can perceive something without affecting it, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I, I think telling someone not to read someone else's mind is kind of like telling someone to keep their eyes closed uh -huh. in a certain way, you know? And uh, so when it comes to having some sort of non-obtrusive, passive uh, mind reading ability, I mean, if I had that, I would just use it literally all the time and never tell anyone that I had it and make a lot more money playing I, poker. I was going to say, as a poker player, that raises a lot of ethical questions. Well, sure, it, you it, know, but as someone who considers myself amoral and doesn't believe in <laughs> ethics, like, it's cool, you know? Great for a host of this particular podcast. But, exactly. Well, but I, I, I mean, which is, it is why I, I like having you on here, because I think it, 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 it brings such an interesting aspect to this conversation about the questions raised but but I, I and I um I, I think what you said is really interesting the, the one area where I think I would push back a bit though is what you're saying is like well if the person can just you know it, it's their sense but right. but right now I mean most of the law that we have and I think most of the sort of common sense ideas we have are based around an idea of like that people get to do certain things in order to prevent other people from using those senses to see. You know, if I don't want someone to look into my house, I can close my blinds. If I don't right. want to someone else to overhear a conversation, I can, you know, speak quietly. And so you get an and I, I say that last one intentionally because I think, you know, what Daredevil can do with his hearing is kind of a very similar thing. Like oh, true. It, it raises a question of when everyone else is is has an assumption of this is what I can do to maintain my privacy what happens when someone else has a power that that blows that away 
you know, where that no longer is an assumption of privacy. Because mm-hmm. I, I mostly agree with you, but I do think that w- that's the one area of pushback of most people. It's not that they're like broadcasting their thoughts, thinking, well, you, you know, if I shout something in a public square, then I expect everyone else to be able to hear it, and that's okay. If I'm thinking it in my head, my assumption is no one else knows what I'm thinking, and and there's something. Right. It feels like there's something a little weird there. Does that make sense? It does, and I mean, I think privacy is a very interesting, tricky issue that we could do a whole podcast on. <laughs> um, and I think more generally, when people develop powers that nobody else has, which I guess doesn't really happen too often in the real world, although technology can I, I mean, give t- people powers that other people don't have, yeah, right, or that people didn't have before. Uh, I think that's always a spot where you have to look at the law and say, okay, what do we do with this? Right. You know, and so... Um, you know, you mentioned Babylon 5, right? Yep. which I haven't actually watched, but I, I think that's a very interesting example because from your description, it sounded like that's a world where a lot of people have this ability. Yeah, and, right? and what happens is that I, I think it's something like one out of every thousand people or one out of every 10,000, so not a huge number, but certainly significant, starts to have this power. Mm-hmm. And people have huge fears about that privacy thing to the point where it becomes almost like you know they start having really like strong regulation of the telepaths and Mm -hmm. and yeah so it's a really great exploration of it and so i guess um my point there is that if you're in a world where there's that many people who have that power all of a sudden it's the sort of thing that you really that the law needs to take a a serious extensive look at and be like okay and everybody does and and be like well how do we feel about this what are we going to do about it uh et cetera et cetera et cetera whereas you know can we can we use psychic screening for you know for for vetting people and coming in into a country or in in trials can we use that right whereas if it's a one in a million type power or one in a billion and there's like six or seven telepaths on earth it's the sort of thing where, it, I mean, sure, you can totally change your society and come up with a whole new host of laws regarding it, but it's it's not, it's just not something that any significant number of people are going to come into contact with on a, a frequent basis. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things that, that S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and the X-Men, two separate properties at this point, which we can pray that one day right. the X-Men will be brought back to the MCU. Sure. <laughs> but I, I think it's, it's an interesting thing that they've explored where, you know, all of the laws to try and regulate powered people, part of what they're wrestling with is the fact that it's not, you know, 1.01% of the population has all now manifested this one power, and so we can deal with it. Part of the right. issue is that everyone has all these different powers. And so, yeah, how mm-hmm. in the world do you, when Professor X and Jean Grey and maybe one or two others are the only ones doing mind reading, but someone else can can see through those blinds, and someone else can overhear the whispered conversation. You know, like how do you, right. how in the world do you deal with that? Yeah, and someone can walk through walls, and some people can be invisible, and some people can look like other people. Like, is it a violation of someone's rights to physically impersonate them? Right. Is it only a violation if that you know, depending on what you do? I I, I think. Uh, you know, coming up with laws relating to powers is just, it's just very tricky. And, uh, I mean, as much as I want to say it's something that we don't have to deal with in the real world, it really is because technology, I mean, look, we have a, you know, the United States is a country based on a document that was written 
almost two and a half centuries ago, right? right? When people were taking horses places, yeah, right, like that was transportation, um, and and boats, and th there were no planes, there were no cars, there were certainly no computers that you know, I mean, there, there, I, I, there were no guns better than muskets of particular right, relevance exactly. to you, you, parts of the yeah, Constitution. Yeah, you have single shot, you know, firearms, and uh, the world's changed so much, and and so people build laws based on that, but a lot of the same mechanisms remain in place and you know I, I, I think that's not great yeah. and there you know people do have a, a fear of change but change um, ch I mean change comes for you you know change yeah. happens there, there's no not change you know I think um, what, Greg is it Greg? Greg yep Greg, Greg, Greg. okay so he was saying that change is destruction right yep and I mean that's true, but change is also creation, right? It's it's literally the destruction of what was and the creation of the next thing, and that's always that's just constant. It's and there can be different rates of change, but even um, like in in yoga, right, or, or in in stretching, um, there there are dynamic stretches and there are static stretches where you can be stretching by moving fluidly through a, a, a position, or you can get to a certain position that's stretching and then you hold it but these are all actually dynamic stretches really it's you're, you're never still your body's not still even when you feel like you're totally still all of your cells are moving right, right. all of the uh, all of the electrons and all of your atoms are they're, they're all moving everything's always moving so and and we're always breathing I mean you can hold your breath but processes are still going on inside your body and um, so change is just, it's unavoidable and it's, it's just how, how are we going to change, you know? Right. Um, so I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I think no, no, in I, the real world we have like, what do, you know, what do we do? How, how does, how do laws change with regard to technology and how do people's, um, outlooks also change as science changes? Well, and I think that's a great point because I think, and that's where we can really see the mirror because, you know, once in you know once that fish oil is out there once the inhum once we know there are aliens in the world you know any of the things happening in, in these worlds everything is going to change you know and and the the idea of how do we try to keep our ideas of privacy in this new world that makes sense but the idea of how do we try and make it so that the inhumans never existed that that's not really possible um, right and which i think is kind of what we're having in, in our own world you know like how do we we have this idea of, of privacy and we have the idea of civil liberties and we also now have social media which kind of obliterates all those things and right. yet to limit those things would be a limitation of civil liberties so like you know we can't just shut it off but we can also say now that all this has changed how do we try and um you know keep those core ideas of privacy and civil liberties and the public good and all these other things recognizing that so much has changed um, yeah, and, and I think there's a question missing there, too. I, I think how is a very important question, but, you know, should we also right. is, you know, it should the ideas of what constitutes privacy or what constitutes a reasonable expectation of privacy, should those change oh, yeah. over time? You Definitely, know, I mean, there was a time when you could go to a place and, like, if you didn't see anyone you know there, no one would ever know that you're in that place. But now there are so many people taking pictures, there's so many surveillance cameras, and there's, I mean, I certainly have a immediate sort of reaction like, 
Ugh, you know yeah <laughs> but at the same time it's like so you know like is is that really necessarily a bad thing is it like do we need to preserve the same idea of what constitutes privacy or does you know does that change as as right. the world changes as the world gets more crowded there simply will be less privacy i mean just, right? just as one example uh I, I i have friends who are um clergy or therapists or in other professions where you know, it, it's often been assumed that you don't want your clients or your patients or your congregants like knowing about your private life. Like, that there's an importance right. of having those kind of boundaries, just because it can like you know it, it complicates the relationship. That's much harder in a social media world. You know, like for sure. I mean, it's always been like you know the the um, most you know if you're a patient, you can probably find your therapist on Facebook without that much trouble. You know, um, so yeah, I think I think you're right, and it makes us ask like, okay, so. How do we keep those bound? You know, how should we be changing those things? Um, let me let me ask you one last thing about this before, because I know we want to um, uh, get, get to our <laughs> so main long, topic. It's been a long five minutes, but but it's a good appetizer. It's a tasty I appetizer. Um, but because um, to me, when I think of this thing of the stagnation, like and like the danger of being afraid of change, to me, one of my favorite examples of that is the Jedi. You know, and so I, as a fellow Star Wars lover, or at least a former Star Wars lover, <laughs> yeah. depending on how you want to identify today. I almost picked Darth Vader as one of my three characters for that <laughs> thing. I can understand that. Well, I almost picked Foggy and Watson, so your intro was, you know, right. quite good. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I'm wondering what you thought of that conversation. And, and granted, this is much more on the mind control side. But that conversation Greg and I had briefly about the Jedi and Star Wars and sort of like you know what are the problems of the kind of like easy use of the mind wave you know the the hand wave these aren't the droids you're looking for power yeah i mean that you know and that's where the you know mind reading versus mind control and it's interesting that in the original trilogy they mostly focused on mind control more right. than i mean there was like i can you know, feel, you know, sense, you know, the, your hatred or whatever, stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and they could sort of sense each other's emotions, but, but there was not, um, like in the force awakens, there was like, I'm going to actually go into your mind and, and take this information out. Right. Which, right. uh, to me, I, I would always think that telepathy would come before, um, actually being able to control someone else. Right. Cause it's, it's almost like that, that, being able to see someone's mind, see their thoughts, would make it easier to, to bend their will. But who knows? Whatever. These are powers that we don't really have. <laughs> but we sort of do if we use our words right. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's certainly interesting in terms of, you know, if, okay, if you're controlling someone's mind to be like, don't arrest me or don't shoot me or whatever, like, I'm I'm on board with that, you right. know. But when you control someone else's mind, you are basically I mean you're you're taking all of their agency, like quite literally, right? And you're base it's basically possession in a lot of ways, yeah. right? You're now their body is running missions for you. So I think if if we were to look at what the law should be regarding stuff like that, I I think the person doing the mind control should be the person responsible for the actions. Right. You know, and I, I think, yeah, using it really free and easy, uh, not so down with that. <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, the same way, it's like if, if you are someone who's trusted to have a gun that you're supposedly using to protect people, which, 
yeah anyway but like <laughs> there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that and you, you can't just go around using that power willy-nilly you know any any power that really um can change people's lives like has to be used responsibly well and i think that's the key thing is it's responsibly and, and then this and it, you know this is I, I think kind of central to so many of these stories and for good reason what a lot of it comes down to is you know <clears throat> if someone uses one of those powers for a selfish reason i think we're easily going to say okay that that's not good you know the question though becomes when one person says i'm using this power to benefit other people and i'm the one deciding what benefits other people you know like mm-hmm. <clears throat> in in the movie you know um Obi-Wan tells the guy to stop selling death sticks and to go home and, and rethink his life choices. Um, right. You know, and I think, like, we could say, okay, well, that, that you know, death stick is not a terribly subtle term. It's probably <laughs> probably bad right, thing right. Um, yeah. due to the wonderful writing of that movie. Um, that sarcasm there. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> just in case anyone missed it. Those could um, be, like, the, what are those uh, things filled with sugar? The sticks, pixie sticks. Pixie sticks, yeah, Like, exactly. you could call those death sticks. Yeah, I know. suppose. It's a stretch. Um, a slow death stick. <laughs> Sugar's bad for you, man. Really? We're not going down that road. Okay. How much almond ice cream do you eat? But it's cashew, cashew milk ice, ice cream. Okay, Thank you. Okay, sorry. And not very much anymore. But yeah, but... but the, too but, much. But, but the point is, they're like, you know, um, it is still Obi-Wan deciding for this other person what is good for him and what is bad for him. You know, and right. I just that that's to me I, that that's where as a as a kind of civil libertarian or like individual freedom person I start to get really nervous is the the using of the power to decide for someone else what's best for them. Um, right. Even if you well, know we could say that that probably objectively it's true. Well, there I think he's more thinking about what's best for other people, right? Oh, like yeah, right, that person's he, customers. He's dealing them, yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, I mean, I, I would actually disagree with the. If you use it for something selfish, it's bad. I mean, I, I think there are plenty of selfish things you could use it for that would be totally reasonable. Uh, whereas I think there are plenty of sort of altruistic things you could think you're using it for that would be much more questionable. Well, I, I specifically meant controlling another person, like the whole. Yeah. Get... No, I I I think there are situations where I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Uh-huh. You know. Um, where, I mean, sure, if I were the person being controlled, I'd be really upset. Right. You know, but if, if, if it's something that ends up having a great impact on one person and like kind of a net neutral, kind of like not much happened except they lost like three minutes. Like, honestly, that's just not that big a deal to me. I can see it. So like. A person is about to make a stupid, you know, choice driving a car and you're riding in the, you know, or like you're the person who's going to get hit. You control their mind for a second to stop their car from hitting you. We're, we're in an okay I'm realm. I'm totally okay with that. But you sit yeah. down at a poker table and you make someone make a stupid bet so that you win all their money. Right. Now, now we're talking about something more problematic. Yeah. yeah. Although, again, that gets into my not really that upset with <laughs> things like theft and whatever and property rights, yada, yada, yada. But, but yeah, on a like interacting in a basic like, okay, we're going to accept that the basic paradigm that we mostly all live in is one that we're going to agree to, then, yeah, I, I think that's a highly questionable use of the power <laughs> at that. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, cool. Well, that's that was just kind of the, the Jedi part of the conversation I wanted yeah. to have. So many rabbit holes, so little time. <laughs> it really is. It's like there's a lot to talk about with these shows. 
it's it's like it's like there is it's like we could just talk for hours <laughs> um maybe someday or a hundred days i know um, we've been so good about keeping these podcasts nice and succinct but let's stop right. talking about talking about things and actually talk about something so go ahead okay so our main topic today is um identity politics and more specifically representation in on-screen comic book fiction yep. um but before we get into that <laughs> uh or this is really a way of getting into that. Uh, Luke Cage came out today. We're recording this on September 30th. And, and it's I, been out. I, I want all of our podcast listeners to know we've watched the first episode. We've only watched the first episode. And we stopped watching so that we could record this podcast, um, which I think is an act of Herculean restraint uh, and dedication to you, the listeners. So I just hope you all appreciate that. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, <laughs> and so in terms of uh, Luke Cage spoilers, I think it'll probably be close to none, maybe maybe a little bit in terms of episode one, which I thought we'd just, um, you know, what were your reactions to, to watching Wait, the first episode? Just make sure I heard you. You're saying that we like, there's total spoilers for Luke Cage episode one is what you're saying, right? Oh, I was, I was going to say maybe we could, you know what? Yeah, sure. Total yeah. spoilers <laughs> for Luke Cage episode one. Have at it. Okay. Well, just first of all, before like talking about specifically the politics of it, I loved this. Um, I mean, not terribly surprising given the Netflix, um, the bar that they've set. I did think season two of Daredevil, the second half was not as great, but still, for the most part, I think Netflix um, Marvel shows have been just knocking it out of the park, and I think this this first episode is by by no means uh, not living up to that. I, I was really impressed with it. Um, I, I loved a lot of like just you know, as a huge fan of The Wire, I loved seeing a couple of my favorite actors from there. You know, Butchie yeah. is back and. Um, Burrell is there, but in a good role. That's very strange. Um, yeah. Um, I, I also thought it was interesting um, uh, that Butchie, who, who he's the um, the guy who sells Luke Cage a newspaper, um, and he's not, I, you know, it seems like he's a very small role, but the character is blind, and the actor is blind. Um, right. And he played a blind character as well on um, The Wire. I just thought that was a little interesting, given that you have um, the guy playing uh, Daredevil, who's a fantastic actor, He's, he's playing a blind character. He's not himself blind as an actor. Um, so I just thought it was a little bit of a night. Nice, I don't think there was any intentionality there, but having a, a blind actor in the show, uh, in a Marvel Netflix show, just kind of made me happy for that reason. Um, but yeah, overall, I loved it. I thought it set up a really interesting story. I thought they did some great references to the rest of the sort of larger Marvel world and, like, you know, really made sure we remembered that this is happening against that backdrop. Right. Uh, some nice allusions to Jessica Jones without while also kind of letting us know that this is not going to be a, a Jessica Jones sequel. It's its own show. Um, yeah, I, I overall loved it. What did you think? Uh, I liked it a lot. Uh -huh. The first five or ten minutes, there was a little bit, uh, like, too much expository dialogue for me. Uh -huh. And you know how I am about that expository <laughs> dialogue. Yep. Uh, that, that, was, that was one of the things that I liked most about the first couple episodes of Daredevil that I think threw some people, probably, but... They were just like, yeah, this guy's got powers. We're not really going to explain it too much. Yep. Um, and then gradually they sort of told the audience, you know, where he got his powers and what, what they are, blah, blah, blah. But I, I really liked that not particularly bothering to, uh, to explain it. And, and I probably would have leaned towards doing that in, uh, in Luke Cage as well, particularly since he's already been in a series. Right. And so I think a lot of people already are familiar with the character, but maybe a lot of people aren't. Uh, maybe there's some 
you know, lack of crossover in, in, in the audience mm -hmm. or, you know, people who are just like, well, I'm going to watch Luke Cage, but I, I didn't watch Jessica Jones, which by the way, I think would probably be fine. I, I don't, I don't feel like there was anything that I saw or learned about Luke Cage and Jessica Jones that I needed to know in order to enjoy, you know, episode one of, of Luke Cage. No, I, I think that's true. And I think, and, and we'll get into more of this when we get into the sort of identity issues. I, I was thinking about that and I think there was something intentional where, you know, they're, they're marketing this as the show that is about like the black superhero and it's set in the black world mm -hmm. in, in some, I thought really wonderful ways. Um, I don't want to say more about some of the specifics of that in a moment, but but I imagine that part of the thought is that you're going to get a comic book audience, but you're also going to get a much larger audience. I mean, the same way that I think Jessica Jones was very intentionally marketed in a, you know, this is about a, a woman superhero. It's co it's covering a lot of issues that you probably got a lot of people who might ne not might not necessarily be like MCU diehards, but right. were like, wait, I really want to watch a show about a woman who's dealing with all these you know issues that get talked about. I imagine the same is going to happen with Luke Cage. Um, yeah, I think so. so too. And I just um, specifically, like I know a number of people, probably all women, but maybe not, uh, who kind of stopped watching all of the MCU stuff, like watched the first few and then were like, okay, okay, that's enough comic book stuff. Yeah. But then watch Jessica Jones, yeah. you know, despite I, maybe not watching Daredevil. I think that's, I think that's definitely true. Um, but uh, yeah, we can definitely talk more about that. But any other general thoughts about, about Luke Cage? First uh, yeah, I mean, I, I felt like it built up steam a lot as it went on. I, I liked that it took its time. I really did like the feeling of, like, this is Harlem, you know, yeah. the same way. Uh, and, and like, that's not, like, maybe it's kind of not really Harlem so much anymore. Yeah, it, you it, know? It, it felt very, and I, I was reading a little bit about the intentionality of this. It feels a lot like 19, like the Harlem I, I, I grew up um just on the edge of what is Harlem, but often like, right. spent time there. Um, yeah. It feels like the Harlem of my childhood. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, it also, slight continuity issue, it does not feel like the Harlem that the Hulk trashed, um, oh. <laughs> which yeah. well, made me a little bit like, you know, because at one point that one guy is like selling videos of the green guy, and right, they don't right. mention that he trashed Harlem. <laughs> yeah, um, but that was like 10 years ago. It was, it was. So I can definitely see them not, it's not a huge continuity and, thing, but. Yeah, and Harlem's a big enough place that like, it's not like he necessarily trashed all of Harlem. Yeah, it's true. You know? I, I and, and let's put the blame where it lay. I mean, Abomination <laughs> was really the. Uh, yeah, it's true. That's there. true. Um. Yeah, I, I, but anyway, the but also like the music, especially, I thought was such a great way of oh, like yeah. grounding this show in um, uh, the the. I, I thought the music is great, and it's coming out of a style that I, I think is referred to as retro blues. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it's definitely a kind of like throwback to the '70s rhythm and blues music that that is the era that um, you know that the the first Luke Cage stuff was written in. Um, yeah. But I like it because it, it gives the whole show a kind of timeless, like, this is about Harlem. It, kind of in the same way you and I have talked about, you know, the Hell's Kitchen of Daredevil doesn't really exist anymore. Um, right. You know, but it felt very much like the Hell's Kitchen that I grew up in. Exactly. And, and, and in which the show this was... feels like the Harlem of that same era. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I will say it's interesting when you're talking about the, the first few minutes for me as a diehard basketball fan and as a, a you know big devotee oh, of yeah. Pat Riley Nicks I loved that scene in the in the the basketball you know in the barbershop where they're talking right, basketball right. yeah but then I think about how often like 
when I try to get my geek friends to watch what they'll refer to as sports ball, um, I'll get lots of crazy looks. And, and so I, I sort of want, like, I thought it was a very interesting choice to, in the very first moments of this show, have a conversation entirely focused on a sport that the comic book nerd genre, you know, a lot of those folks might be turned off by that. But yet right. to me that feels so, like that, you know, guys sitting in a barber shop talking about basketball in that way, like that felt very much like the Luke Cage Harlem uh, kind of aesthetic that they were going for. Yeah, um, yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting choice. Yeah, I liked that. I mean, I liked the beginning. It's just there was a little bit of like, um, and this is like in fairness, this is true about almost every single TV show, like the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Right. There's almost always this like, okay, we have to set this up. We have to set this up. And there's like all these obligations as a, as a screenwriter or as a, whoever's planning out, you know, the, the beginning of, of a show of a series really. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't mean that as like a big negative. Uh, it was just, it was a little like, okay, okay. Yeah. I, we, we, we know he's invulnerable, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Uh, and like this and that, and I was like, okay, all right, now we've got the story, you know. Yep. But but yeah, I did think that banter was was great. It's it's also the second uh, Phil Jackson reference, right? In uh, in like two months of comic book stuff. Oh yeah, didn't uh, Coulson make a reference to it to, to Phil Jackson? No, 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 no. Uh, 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 Deadshot, Triangle, bitch. Remember? Oh yes, that's yeah. right, that's right. <laughs> He's like, you ever heard of Phil Jackson? Um, <laughs> Anyway, I, I thought that was amusing. That like, like okay, I guess this is like the 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 comic book basketball crossover. <laughs> yeah, Phil Jackson can audience. exist in both the MCU and the DC universe. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so we know that much about these worlds because there's there's a lot of things that I think we assume are the same in these worlds that aren't necessarily the same in these worlds. Right. You know. I mean, just if nothing else, the geography. Like you know, it, it, yeah. In, the, the Marvel Universe, it's much more specifically like the geography is the same in the DC Universe. Some of it is, but then you have all of these like made up cities that, you know, don't quite fit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. The DC Universe. I mean, I think America must have like 500 million people in DC <laughs> because New York still exists, but then there's Gotham, which has like 30 million people or something. And Metropolis. Or and and yeah. Metropolis is also like Gotham sized <laughs> and there's still DC, but it's not, you know, it's, 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 it's odd. Rabbit but hole. Anyway. Rabbit hole. Right, yeah, back to uh, back to the MCU. Um, so you know that that's kind of uh, so. So yeah, I'm very excited to watch the rest of Luke Cage. I mean, uh, I, I was I was excited when they announced it as a yep. series. You know, however many years ago it was now, um, and uh, none of the series have disappointed me so far. Except yes, the last uh, the second half of Daredevil season two uh, wasn't quite up to the there were there were things about it right. you know, that weren't quite up to the the standards that they've set. But the uh, the standards they've set, I think, are I think that standard is basically the best on screen comic book stuff that's ever been made. Oh, that's yeah. like what I think the standard of Netflix Marvel is. So you know, to to come in at like a nine out of ten on that scale is like okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I think you could still put the second half of Daredevil up against you know Agents of Shield. I think could could there that you could make an argument, but still. To me, the second half of Daredevil is still far better than Arrow, or you know, Flat, oh, Flash right. is a fun show, but I think still nowhere near as good. Like, right. yeah, but I, I think the best of Shield is about as good as the worst of Daredevil. I'll I think that's say. fair. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that that's that's a good. 
All right, so uh, getting back to the topic and kind of getting into the topic now 30 <laughs> minutes into our, <laughs> our podcast, um, I mentioned in a previous show that identity politics drive me nuts, uh-huh. right? And, and I thought I'd first just kind of give my basic explanation for that and then let you explain why they're important sure. to you and in general. Um, and personally, I think personal identity is super important. Um, and I think immersing it in politics can subvert someone's own sense of identity to some extent. And I do respect that many and perhaps most people identify strongly with certain characteristics like gender, race, nationality, sexuality, maybe even hair color, um, but and probably much more of those first four. <laughs> but I also reject the notion that everyone identifies with those particular qualities um, and particularly that a lot of the time, and I, I do think, and, and you've helped me understand this, right? That I think it's very important to understand how other people might perceive you based on those qualities. Right. But I do, uh, as someone who I'd say struggles from or suffers from sort of cultural dysphoria, um, I, I really can't except that those all of those qualities have to be important to a given person um, or that someone necessarily needs to relate to all of those aspects uh, of their being like I mean personally like I have a hard time relating to my species right you know <laughs> like I mean I'll constantly just be like uh, humans <laughs> you know no and, um, and I get that and I um yeah. So there's a couple things I would say. And the first thing I would say is, uh, in, in some ways, actually, I think I agree with you more than you might originally think, because okay. I think part of what you're talking – well, let me back up a second, because I would say I, I do very strongly believe in identity politics and the importance of identity discussions, and especially in, around something like Luke Cage, you know, mm-hmm. um, because to me, I think as a white person – there's an element to the Luke Cage story. Luke Cage is telling a story that I don't necessarily understand and that I don't necessarily so, – well, I can understand, but I certainly don't relate to. And that it's right. a story that, like, I think it's important for, for someone who, who comes from that kind of – you know, from, who, who might better be able to relate to Luke Cage to see a superhero who looks like them. You know, I mean, just that, that very basic thing, I right, think. Right. Um, but But – to your specific, I think, but to me, I think one of the biggest reasons why people have so many problems with the, the way identity politics are perceived is that you have on the one hand, to me, the idea of identity and all the things that go around it, specifically privilege that I think is such an important concept and, and cultural appropriation and all these kind of things are incredibly nuanced, incredibly detailed things that are then discussed in a 140 character limit social media world. Mm, mm, yeah. Because like what you were saying, like you were, you were talking some kind of absolutes that I don't think actually most sort of like practitioners of identity ideas really would believe. Right. But it's hard to explain that nuance in 140 characters. And I mean, to me, black lives matter is kind of the perfect example of this. Like, yeah, for sure. Black lives matter. Doesn't mean white lives don't matter. It doesn't mean right. yellow lives don't matter. It means hey, we're currently living in a world where all lives should matter, but the current power structure and policing and social situation means that black lives are devalued due to a whole wide range of very subtle, very unconscious things, 
and we want to change that. And while we're changing it, we don't think that black lives should matter more than anyone else. We just think they should matter as much as someone else. That's a, and that's, I don't even think that I just gave the best possible explanation for it, but that certainly doesn't fit on 140 characters. It doesn't fit yeah, on it's, a billboard. Um, it's definitely better than a, a tweet or a, a meme with, you know, an image of a famous person and then about, you know, a hundred words. Right. So, so I, I just wanted to start there by saying, I think part of, you, you know, the extremes that you're talking about, I, I think that there are some, I, I, I think, I think you're right somewhat there. I think in that, in that going to those extremes is problematic, but I, but I, I think that sometimes it's a misunderstanding to think that those we're going to those extremes. Um, but, but the other part of it is I, I, the reason why I think this stuff matters is let me just give one example for me. Um, yeah. I, I am a white person. I'm a straight person. I'm a, a, a cisgendered person. I'm Christian. I, I tick off quite a lot of the boxes of like traditional world. Right. What, th- what that means is when I go to the movies, when I go to watch television, I'm probably going to watch someone who looks like me. You know, mm-hmm. I and I don't have to think about it. I don't have to go say, you know, I I'm feeling kind of down about myself. I'd really like to go see a movie where someone who looks like me does good things. Like, right. I just could always take that for granted. But I'm also a disabled person. Um, I spend a good part of my life in a wheelchair because um, I, I have a I lost my leg about uh, t- almost 20 years ago, um, and so I have a prosthetic leg. Um, and that hasn't always been part of my identity. It became part of my identity when that happened uh, when I was 21. Um, there was a TV show named Glee, which had a character named Artie, who was a character in a wheelchair. And the the, the TV show is is silly and ridiculous, and I, I loved the first couple seasons. Later seasons got really bad. Um, and, and kind of problematic in a lot of ways, especially on sexuality issues. Um, but but I loved it because it had a character in a wheelchair who went through a lot of the things that I've gone through. You know, like there, there's a couple of scenes of him like dealing with the, the, the kind of casual um, things that people aren't meaning to be, dis- you know, ableist. They're not meaning to be rude to him, but are really kind of hard for him. And... and I, I sort of was able to watch that character and be like, you know what, that that is my story that I'm seeing, and I right. don't normally get to see that story, and that that meant so much to me. Um, and I and I thought of that when you know I I am someone who grew up, you know, we're gonna I'm about to touch the third rail of these conversations in, in one of the most uh, talked about of these representation issues, but we'll get it right on the table. I'm someone who grew up loving the Ghostbusters movie, the original. Mm. I just I right. think it's I still think it's. Um, a fantastic movie. I think that you know, you go back and watch it, and like the, the the characters are pretty horribly misogynistic in some ways, and that's definitely problematic. But I I still love the movie, um, and I hate remakes in general. And so when yeah. I heard about the all female remake, I I wasn't really on board. I I couldn't care less about the fact that it was all women. I just I I don't like remakes. I don't want there to be a remake of movies I love. Yeah, in um, general, they it's not a good idea. Yeah, and and I and 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 but I but I I, I try to sort of listen and, and hold back on some of that, and and then when the movie came out, and I saw the I read some of the articles by women, who talked about how they didn't have what I had, where they could take for granted that they could go to a movie and see someone who looked like them on the screen, and that this meant so much to them, and I read. Like the stories of mothers talking about how this movie was a part of what it meant for them that they could take their daughter to make sure their daughter had the experience that I had that they, the mother, didn't have. Um, right. And just some of those pictures of like you know the little girls who were so excited to get to be you know to dress up as Ghostbusters. Um, 
that really hit me in the same way that Artie had hit me. And that really was like, you know, that th- this movie isn't for me, and it doesn't have to be. And I, I did go to the movie, and I thought it was very funny. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm glad I saw it. Um, but but more like just, just that idea of, like, I, I, I think, to me, that's an example of where I think that kind of identity politics around cinema or, or movies becomes important, because I... You know, it doesn't have to mean that all men are going to think that, you know, women can't be superheroes. It doesn't mean that every woman wants to be a superhero. You don't have to talk in the, in the um, absolutes because we're not Sith. Um, uh, <laughs> even though only a Sith speaks in absolutes is an absolute. Um, but, you know, George Lucas is a bad writer. Oh, my gosh. Stop the presses. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh but there's, um, but yeah, but but so that's my point. So to me, that's the kind of reason why, I I think when it, you know, and I'm I'm hugely uh, hugely isn't a word, um, but I'm I'm reducing all of this um, <clears throat> identity politics stuff to one very particular idea. But this is why I think it matters so much in movies and TV shows because I think, it, it, well, a because of that idea of the hero, and b because I think it, it changes up me. You know, like not only do I get to assume that people who look like me are heroes. But if I only see people who look like me as heroes, it's hard to remember that other people can be, you know? And I think it's right. it is also such a good way of, of influencing that. So Well, so this is gonna be kind of boring, but I pretty much agree with everything you just said. So. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I mean, so so the what I'd expand on is that I, I do think that um, much like what some people would refer to as political correctness, uh-huh. um, I feel like identity politics particularly in the sphere of the interwebs are often not communicated successfully um, or communicated in a way. And by communicated, I don't mean the people trying to communicate are necessarily at fault. And I don't mean the people who are uh, failing to receive the message are necessarily at fault. I mean, the communication is it's a, it's a two person transaction or yeah, for one person to try and express something and someone else to actually understand what that person means. Well, is, but, but here I think, yeah. I think there's something very important in that it may not have been communicated successfully to you. That doesn't mean it wasn't – I mean that, that's I think part well, of the great thing of social media and the terrible thing is sometimes people put social stuff on social media that is meant for particular audiences but it's also broadcast to everyone. Yeah, that's definitely a complicating factor. Um and and I, I that's that's true um, that it's often not successfully communicated to me. But I'm actually less worried about not being successfully communicated to because I I do feel like I I get a lot of what the point is, and I can see people talking about. Um, like how the particular use of language uh, might reinforce certain negative stereotypes or, or even positive stereotypes or just stereotypes. And thus, I mean, they're all kind of negative, right? Um, like the existence of, of stereotypes, but that I feel like I can sort of see the nuance through, um, through, through sometimes what is a lack of nuance uh-huh. in terms of communication but I'm much more concerned about the Trump voter who's yep. not getting it and maybe doesn't really want to get it on a lot of levels, but also is 
being driven farther in that direction, which I think is a horrible direction. And speaking of third rails, Trump. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the point being that I obviously not everything anyone can say is for everybody. Right. I mean, maybe some things are kind of have some universality and are totally unobjectionable, but like those things don't really get shared very much. They don't get commented on very much. It's like, yep, you know, <laughs> like I, there's not that much to say. I, I mean, I think that, that there is a really important issue here in social media, which is that, yeah, moderate, nuanced positions don't get attention. You know, like right. it, you, it is very hard to burn a question mark on someone's lawn. Like that's not going to like raise a lot. Okay. <laughs> oh, actually, the Riddler would disagree. <laughs> yes, that's true. But like, you know, I, I um, uh, we we used to talk in some of the social justice circles um, yeah. about nuance. You know that it's really hard to stand on the rooftops and shout maybe. Like that right, just doesn't right. work as well. Yeah. But yeah. but and and I I hear that point. But I, I I do think that particularly when we're not the people who are, I I think that there is such a need to have a place to express anger and to express emotion. Sure. And asking every communication on, on the internet to be sort of strategically minded is, is problematic. And, it, and it's doubly pro- problematic, I think, when it's coming from people who aren't in the affected group. And, and here I will admit, this is an identity issue. And, and, and let me give you an example that, like... <clears throat> uh, I, just like, to interject, I, I just say that I'm, I think I'm less requesting or demanding that everything is done like that but more lamenting that it can't be i understand that i understand that and i i, I was going to give an example from my particular world you know um every i i'm part of some like social media you know uh, I, I connections with other people with disability advocates i've done professional disability advocacy and as a volunteer at various points in my life and it's an issue mm-hmm. that i care a lot about obviously for because it affects me personally right um and there have been days when I've come home and I've put on something like Facebook or Twitter, something to the equivalent of goddamn able-bodied people offering to help me with my wheelchair. You know, why the hell don't they, don't they think I can take care of myself? Right. Like, is that the most strategically minded message? By no means. No. Is that a message that pr- might well make some able-bodied people who think of themselves as good-hearted and just offering to help? turned off a little bit because they're like well but wait why i thought i'm trying to or even like the person who is fairly educated and like knows you know knows the to the not like offer to help without you know being asked or something that person might be like you know well wait not all abled people you know like what they might be right, turned off right. by that right they're not the audience for that i'm putting that right. out there because i know that other people in wheelchairs who felt that are going to feel validated by reading about my anger experience and i'm going to feel validated by hearing it back from them Right. And but 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 I don't want it to necessarily be um you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily want it to just be like in a disabled only um right. you know group because like I do group, think right. that yeah. there is a there is I think like anger does have some value, you know, and I do think there is a way in which some people will join like... me and together. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> <clears throat> well no, but but that idea of, you know, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you. I... Yes, some people are going to see that anger and be like, oh, maybe there's something really there I need to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, but, but here's the flip side. If a fellow, uh, if, an, if another person who I know is part of the disabled community or like has that identity, if that person comes to me and says, hey, Matthew, I know you really care about this issue. 
the tweets you've been putting out aren't helping our cause. Like maybe you should think twice about this. I I might I I might really push back against that person for like trying to police my personal experience. Right. But I'm going to listen to them in terms of the strategy. Mm-hmm. If an able-bodied person comes to me and says that without my asking them to, I'm going to just be really pissed and shut them down. Because right. now they're they're talking, you know, and and to me that's in that same way where I feel like for me as a white, you know, like there are a lot of political issues where I, you know, I am uh, a, very much a supporter of the Palestinian movement and like, you know, uh, 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 a free Palestine and things like that in a mm-hmm. way that's also safe for Israel. But, you know, you know, right. obviously a very complicated issue. And there are times when I admit I tear my hair out watching the directions that some of the Palestinian groups are going in thinking like this is just such bad strategy. But it's not my place to say like, like, you know, it's mm, not, it's yeah, not. So that's that's where we can disagree. That's... Good, we got to get into agreement. Awesome. <laughs> Um, I, well, I can, say, I, I can say objectively that I think it's bad strategy, but I think for me to go to that group and tell them that without being asked is, I think, really problematic. Yeah. So, again, I don't disagree, but I, I do disagree. <laughs> but mo- I'm mostly just because I think, like, well, so if if the criticism is that the tone is potentially um, pr- obscuring the message. Uh-huh then I think the person trying to communicate that needs to really, really pay attention to their tone when they approach um, people who are maybe of a group that they're not part of and are trying to communicate what I, I think is something that really does need, I think it's really essential that it gets said. Like, let's say you have group A and group B, right? Group A has something that they want to communicate. And group B is not hearing it, right? right? Or a lot of people in group B are not hearing it. I think it's actually much more logical and useful for one member of group B to go over to whoever in group A and be like, hey, look, I think the message you're trying to communicate is really important, and I really want the other people in group B to understand it. I think that the way you're presenting this message is actually preventing that. I think it's obscuring your message and I think it's actually making other people in Group B more entrenched in their opposition to that message. Uh-huh. And I think that when doing that, yes, I think it's really important to be respectful and to be, um, you know, fair and and to not be accusatory. Hey, why are you saying this message in this particular way? Right. I think that's not constructive at all. But I, I think some members of group B who get the message but see how it's not resonating with other members of group B are actually the people who are most well-equipped to make suggestions. And I think it's really important that those are suggestions, not demands, and not accusations. So I I, I think I I understand where you're coming from there, and I think there's some validity, but there's a couple places where I'd push back. And yeah, I I think this is our first, like, actual real point of contention on this podcast for a while. So, woohoo, we found something to disagree on. Uh, Well, though we've had a couple other disagreements before. I know you you love Zack Snyder and think he's a fantastic movie maker. Um, But. (laughs) (laughs) What now? (laughs) Um, But but, so there's a couple places I'd push back. One is that I, I think there's some validity there, but I think it becomes. One thing you have to first ask is, what is the power structure between Group A and Group B? Because if this is Group A 
asking Group B to stop oppressing them, or asking, demanding that Group B stop oppressing them. Like, it, if the person who is in that sort of Group B group mm-hmm. you're, is in the, the group of, that has held power, I do think that changes it a lot and makes it even harder for the person in Group B to make, to, to make that kind of a suggestion. The, the second thing, though, I think is it becomes so important is part of what you're saying is that the person in Group B knows what the message that Group A is trying to convey, mm. and there ha- there's, that not always, but that is often going to be a, a lot of it. There's often a lot of assumption on the part of Group B to do that, yeah. and I yeah. think that that's where again it can get into a lot of danger because you, it, Group B might not be fully understanding what that message that Group A is trying to say because sometimes it might be no. The message we want to say is that we are too far too pissed off to have a logical conversation. Right. Um, and I want to just give one example that I to tie it back to the show. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm guessing you probably picked up on this as well. Um, one of the things I like, every, one thing I love about Netflix TV shows is their opening credits. Like, I think they do opening credits so well. Um, yeah, they're it, really good. It's just a great thing that they do. This one I thought was no different. Really set the tone. And they showed a couple of times street signs in um, Harlem. Mm-hmm. And one street sign they showed three different times was Malcolm X. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's Avenue or Boulevard or whatever. What they didn't do is show Martin Luther King Boulevard, um, which mm. often, very often, in shows about Harlem, they'll you know, you'll show moments where you know you'll you'll show both of those signs. I don't think it was at all unintentional that we saw Malcolm X three times and we did not see Martin Luther King. Right. Because to me that that's you know when Malcolm X was gotten started or throughout his whole career until his his murder people were saying to him exactly what you're saying you know like um, you're too angry you know we can listen to Dr. King we can't listen to you etc um, but but you know in actuality I think as we look back on it we can recognize that, that his message well first of all as he said himself he wasn't talking to white people he was talking right. to other black people and his message had so much more resonance for black people because of it but that there was also a lot that white people could learn from that um so, so I, I guess that, you know, and I think it, it would have been very easy for one of the white people who was working with Dr. King, who really believed in this, in the civil rights movement, to want to say to Malcolm X, listen, I get where you're coming from. I, I hear you, but I don't, I think you're turning off more white people than, than you're, you're helping. I, I understand where that's coming from. But I, I still think it's problematic because I think it, it, there's an extent to which you're never really going to fully know what that message is supposed to be. Um, you know, now, to, to so go ahead. Mm-hmm. I've said a bunch. <laughs> well, you know, if, almost never. I, let's not speak in absolutes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because if so, if then then that's I mean, if that message isn't even for people of that other group, then it's just irrelevant. Then it's like. Hey, well, you know what you're saying isn't really getting through to people like me or whatever. And then the answer is just like, yeah, okay. So, like, so it. I mean, well, but that's I think, just a totally different situ- uh, circumstance, really. But I think there's two and, things. A, I don't think it's irrelevant. Like, I think this is one of the most kind of go back to Ghostbusters. Like, I when I was talking with a friend of mine about it, she, she said something that really hit me. Where she said, like, you know, this movie isn't for you. The, right. You may well enjoy this movie, but this movie isn't for you. And you and, right. and and that I was like, oh, okay, that 
because as a white straight man, I tend to assume everything is for me. Um, huh. You know, and, and that's part of what privilege does, and I shouldn't think that way. So that, that's one part. But the other thing is I think, I mean, a lot of white people learned a lot by, by listening to Malcolm X talk to other black people, you know, because it was that moment of like, wait, wait, Dr. King makes us feel like you, you love us and you want to be like us and, and we can be just as loving and brotherly as you. What do you mean we can't help? Like what, you know, and, and not, not to say that one was right, right. or one was wrong. I'm a huge devotee of, of Martin Luther King as well. But, but I think that that, you know, in that same way, like, um, you know, when I read things by, you know, by, you know, someone who's of a group that isn't me saying like really angry things about the group that I'm in, yeah, it's easy for me to just turn it off and reject it. It's easy for me to say that's irrelevant. But it's also, and I think this is what, what people in privilege need to do, it, it's possible for me to hear that and go, wait a minute, like, what is happening in this situation that makes someone so angry that this is what they're going to express? Right. Um, and I think the failure of some people to do that isn't, like, the people who are expressing the anger shouldn't have to carry the responsibility for that. Like, because, yes, you're right, there are idiot Trump voters who are going to um, um, well, turn that off. Um, yeah, but, okay, let me let me turn it around. Sure. When Clint Eastwood or whatever Trump supporters express their anger the way they do in this incoherent, um, like, there's a reason that they have their anger. And yep. it's not always racism. It's not always oh, misogyny, no. right? No, not at all. And I think we should be paying attention to that. And, yeah, that, I mean, that's basically my point. Like, it's – I feel like what we hear when we hear what they're saying, that's what they hear when they hear Malcolm X, you know? And um, and th that's not to say that and, – and, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, draw a parallel like, oh, they're the same, you know? Right. White nationalism, black nationalism, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's not my point. But my point is is that when when there is – anger that it's very dis difficult to parse kind of like the source and I guess basically just that it's always a problem if people just ignore it because it's angry because right. it's noisy right well and I'd agree with that and I should, and I don't want to get I mean huge political rabbit hole we can yeah. go down and, and like you don't have to be a liberal democrat to listen to this podcast I hope all are welcome um, and when you disagree with us please you know post about it in the comments um, but but I would say that I, I, I think that, you know, much to their disservice, it is much to the disservice of progressives and identity politics type people when they look at the Trump voters as just all racist, ignorant people. You know, I think there's a lot of people who don't have who have lost jobs in this economy The the America that they believed in is changing. And like we talked about before, the destruction mm -hmm. of change, yeah, yeah. what the you know, Dr. King talked a lot about that losing privilege hurts. Right. Um, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast and that anger and that pain shouldn't be you know it shouldn't be validated well, no it shouldn't be like it's not a reason to stop things but I think that the, the the fact that it became very easy for progressives to say oh you know white men without college degrees are rednecks so we're not going to care about them means that yeah you don't listen when they spout racist homophobia but it also means you don't listen when they spout about, like, we're upset that our factory closed and we have no jobs. Right. Um, and, like, I think that they're, you know, 
finding ways to speak to to hear that anger becomes so important. Um, but but turning it back to the other side about how do you reach them, here's where I think a show like Luke Cage is so important because mm, I think yeah, there are sure. people who. I, I imagine that there are a lot of people, and you know, this is there's no evidence I have to back this up, but this is sort of my, my understanding, and, and some some evidence that I've seen, you know, there are the the comic book geek world has an awful lot of people on all sides of political spectrums. You know, I I will go to my local Magic the Gathering shop or a comic, you know, get into discussion about things, and I'll hear a lot of people who have some pretty negative feelings about Black Lives Matter, um, right. who are pretty solid in the geek world. Those are people who I believe are going to watch Luke Cage and probably really enjoy Luke Cage. And Luke Cage has a huge Black Lives Matter sign right above the show. I mean, not, not literally, but like that, that movement is obviously deeply entwined into the entire show. Um, yeah, and I mean, right in the first episode, you know, they, they mention it. Right? Yeah, they mention it, and, and that, that last image, you know, he, he, he puts the hood over his head. You know, mm, yeah, he's yeah. walking down the street as a black man wearing a hoodie. Yeah, like that is such a. And I, I read an interview that the 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 creator and the actor both said that was a very intentional like Trayvon right. Martin reference. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, you know, uh, I I I don't know if this was uh, after doing something good and helpful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, and right? that, like, well, yeah. but but also think well, about although, it, like, sure, sure. Imagine the police show up. Yeah just at what are they going to see right. a black man in a hoodie and a Chinese restaurant that just got you know right. just like you know and, and also what's his power he's bulletproof yeah you know what and like yeah. I, I think it's the actor who said that would be useful yeah I think the, I think it was the actor who said you know that what does a black man in America want more today than to be bulletproof um, right so, so my only point being I imagine I, I hope and I imagine that there are people who if I said to them Black Lives Matter would tune me out but are going to watch this show mm-hmm. and are going to watch a show that is like I said much this much more Malcolm X than Martin Luther King show and might be affected by it you know and right. might it might plant some seeds that are going to um, that are going to change them and I hope that that happens but I don't think that that I don't think the creator has to be like I don't think at the end of the show I don't think we judge the show based on was did it reach that white guy? Because it's not supposed right. to. You know, its aim is well just to tell a great story, but also so that the black kid growing up knows that there's a, a superhero like him. You know, um, that that to me is uh, what what I see as representation. Why representation matters so much. Yeah. Well, so in terms of the communication of identity politics, I think we've successfully talked about that and maybe not entirely perfectly communicated on all <laughs> aspects of it but uh, as far as representation goes i i really agree agree as much as i could basically right. as as much as possible that i i think so like when age of ultron came out and uh-huh. there were articles that were like great another super you know hero film featuring six white characters and like i found that really frustrating because whenever like if there's every time there's a movie made with like a white dude like I don't feel like it's really constructive to be like another movie with a white dude in it it's like but when then there is something made that's not that like I think it's definitely worth celebrating that right and the increase in representation and the thing about Age of Ultron that was so it was like did you did you watch the movie did you get to the end like spoiler alert like that's not how the Avengers stay like the story and as much as I know, like, 
you know, we 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 don't have quite the same uh, review rating on that movie. Like, I kind of think Age of Ultron is the story of how the MCU becomes a much more inclusive um, uh, canon or what. I don't know. What, what do you call it? Uh, I, universe. Yeah. What, and I say here there's two things, which is that. First of all, I, I can agree with you that I can lament the social media – and I, there's actually an article, one of the first podcast uh, articles I put up about this a few, uh, few months ago was on the, like, can we, can we watch the thing before we attack the thing? Right, um, right. And I do think there's some relevance to that. But I also want to go to the flip side of the I, – I respect the – and this is kind of, I think, kind of what I was saying with that wheelchair example, like – the thing is that when you and I don't feel a particular kind of anger, I think there's a particular, like, problem in judging the person who does. And the, like, I don't know what is going to be someone else's breaking point. Um, like, to give that example, like, you know, uh, I think I kind of imply this, but just kind of outright state it. Like, I think many people in the disabled movement today would say, like, if you're a person in a wheelchair, like, let a person ask for help before offering often because right. like it just you know it, it just does, it implies a sense of like this person can't yeah. take care of themselves etc if one person asks and and same like i often ask people like not to use the word lame around me because i mm-hmm. feel like you know it, it it's sort of a like i mean you know to say oh that's so lame as in lame is bad it's kind of like saying like that's so gay and like you know right. there's nothing wrong with being lame there's nothing wrong with being gay right. um, so let's say like you know I'm rolling down the street and a person offers to help and he's the first person who offers to help I'm probably going to politely say you know, thanks but no thanks, I'm okay if ten people have offered to me in the last half hour which has happened I'm probably going to be very polite to the first person I'm Mm -hmm. probably going to snap at the tenth person Yeah. and what the tenth person did is no worse than what the first person did and I will, I will probably feel a little guilty about that, but I don't necessarily think it was a bad thing I did because the thing, the thing is that it's that this is what the concept of microaggressions is. Like, you know, it's that it's that tenth person is part of a larger pattern which has been building up and building up and building up. And to ask me to sort of ignore that and to treat each incident on its own is just as problematic. In the same way, I feel like, yes, would it have been better for people to watch all of Age of Ultron and understand that it isn't necessarily the movie that they think it is. I mean, I would say no because I think it's a bad movie, but that's another question. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. But I can also see that for someone who is, like, you know, they've, they already had that microaggression of so many movies like this that, frankly, all they need to do is see the poster for Age of Ultron, see it all be white characters, and just kind of roll their eyes and go, God damn it, why is it another... I can't really blame them, you know, because it's that same idea of, like, there's just so much that's been built up. Um, uh, you know, and, which is not to say that, like, I don't think we should stop making movies about white people, but just that I think that it, it, it's... The, the reason why we feel that way is because there it has been so one-sided. And so the answer isn't mm-hmm. to stop making movies about white people. It's to start trying to make a lot more movies about a lot more people and also to let a lot more people make movies. You know, I think right. that... I don't think it's at all coincidental that Luke Cage is created by, and as far as I can tell, almost entirely written by people of color. You know, right. that first scene in the barbershop is amazing because, like, there's no mm-hmm. white people. You know, it's like it is right, right, right. It's not. I bl- mean, almost the entire at first episode, there's like basically what cops and um the the, the guy the, the guy, guy cottonmouths um yeah his right. like manager or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah. And the, and the yeah, but it's very few white people, and I think that's I think that's great because I think it. Um, so yeah, so I, I guess that's that's where I'd come down to that that Ultron thing is the like, yeah, it's it. I think it's better when people can watch it, but again, if they're angry without watching it, I'm not gonna blame them. Okay, well, this is me not getting in an argument about microaggressions, <laughs> <laughs> and instead uh, moving on to talk about. Um, I mean, and so I do, I do think that like positive representation and that and by positive I don't mean I mean I think it's just as important to have villains and heroes yep. of you know all all races genders um orientation you know um nationality and one thing that I think Luke Cage might so what are you saying right so you were saying how um that's like something great that Luke Cage can do is right. kind of bring that message to people and and even just like without without actually having any overt um you know talking about issues just like seeing a big black dude in a hoodie like go around be the hero like yeah. that's a positive thing for i think for everybody to see um and the the thing that so that's something good that Luke Cage can do right but I don't think it's something that it has to do. Yep. And I agree with that. th- that's one thing where I think like I would hope that you know the shows creators showrunners like don't feel this like added sort of burden of responsibility that um like this is the black superhero show. Right. I mean it is actually technically the second. Right. Um there's an animated one uh Vixen who's a DC uh superhero who's um african-american i mean i think she actually was maybe born i I forget her entire story but uh, it's like a short one and then she's in a crossover on arrow um but like this this sort of trans no go ahead okay and i i I, I, not to get into another rabbit hole but you know there are some pretty racist ideas around the vix you know the vixen character being like a black woman who's you know, kind of the jungle woman who has control of animals and stuff like that. And, um, right, right, right. But, but, but I, I definitely hear your point, and and I would say that you know, I I totally agree that it, it asking any show made by you know an oppressed group or a person of color or whatever like that to carry that burden isn't fair. And here's where I think is a great like look at Jessica Jones versus Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Jessica Jones is a show about a woman superhero that very you know straight ahead takes on the issue of sexual violence um and wrestles with it and and does a really you know really wrestles with very important issues relating to women in power Mm -hmm. ghostbusters is a ridiculous movie that takes on i mean it it pokes fun at the people who are making fun of the idea of female superheroes right but it doesn't in any way carry the kind of responsibility that uh jessica jones did and I think it's is pretty happily okay with that. Yeah, um, and forget Ghostbusters for a minute. Jessica Jones, I think, benefited um, from and and vice versa from the fact that Supergirl and Agent Carter both came out within the same year. Right. Um, Supergirl and Jessica Jones, I think, came out a month or two apart, and Agent Carter had been on earlier that year. And I think the fact that you had three uh, female-led, you know, comic book shows with where the title character was Agent Carter, Jessica Jones, Supergirl. Yep. Let each of those shows kind of just like they could be their shows, they could be judged on their own merits. 
you know, one might get canceled, one might get moved to another network and one might get renewed and not, not, no one of those shows had to like sort of carry the torch for like all female comic book shows. And, and Vixen actually came out around the same time. And good. Well, just that those shows all I, I felt had a very different sort of representation, but they all just added to the like, well, I mean, if women are half the population, right? Like, you shouldn't, like, have one <laughs> women's superhero show. Um, but also right. that then no one of those shows had to be, like, this is the one carrying carrying all of that weight. No, and I think that's true. And I think, you know, there, there's a lot of debate about, you know, um, you know, I think I, I uh, you know, I, I don't – I have a lot of problems with Supergirl because I think, you know, in right. some ways I think it, it doesn't have a very good feminist message in, in some ways. But, but that's – again, I think that it's exactly what you're saying is that it, these things don't have to. Um, right. When there is the, and I'll I'll give you another example to go back to Age of Ultron. Honestly, the thing that I I, I mean I I just thought it was a bad movie, but what bothered me sort of like in terms of these issues most about Age of Ultron wasn't the racial makeup of the team. It was the um, Black Widow um, Nata- Nata- Natasha's storyline. Not even that, oh. but 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 yeah, but but, but the um, her. You know, sort of in this real confession moment, saying that she can't have children, and thus, like, she feels just as broken as Bruce does. Yeah. And here's the thing: like, if this is a war, like, yes, pregnancy and and infertility are real issues that should be do- dealt with and talked about. But they're also like there is so much social pressure for thousands of years that tells women that their worth is fundamentally based in the idea that they, you know, are baby machines. Um. If this is a world where there are five different female, strong female characters uh, who are heroes, not just, you know, superhero in the broad colloquial term. Right, right, right. Sometimes super spy or... She doesn't have super power. Right. Right. If there are five women like that and one of them is dealing with this issue of, of, you know, her being sterilized and what that does to her value, I can see that. And I think that's an interesting story to tell. But when the only woman character... In the, I mean, yes, Scarlet Witch has been introduced, but but we haven't really heard much about her yet. If, Maria if, Hill too. Uh, yeah, but again, barely really there. But if the only woman character who we're really getting any kind of like backstory with is a character who has this issue that has been used against women like for so long, to me that becomes much more problematic, you know. Mm. And, but if there were five other, you know. In a world where Agent Carter is much more prevalent, in a world where Jessica Jones is much more prevalent, you know, and then you tell that Natasha story, I think right. that could be a really powerful story. It's just when it's the only story being told that I'm like, ah, come on, you have to go to this tired old cliche again. Yeah, I mean, we just disagree on that. We, can... <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, but I, I do, I get your point about when there are more characters like whatever things you might have a problem with about a given character are are sort of not minimized but like de-amplified i don't know (laughs) i'm looking for the right word but like made i'm making a gesture made Uh made a little smaller you know they're they're not uh when you know when that's your big like starring female character yeah i i i i get you on that you know I, i would say though like there is Maria Hill, you know, there's Melinda May, there's uh, Daisy Skyquake, whatever her name is. Um, there's um, Jessica Jones. Like, they do have a world, and Scarlet Witch, and, you know, they do have a world now where there aren't 
you know, one or two uh, powerful right. women. You know, there there are quite a number now, and I you know I'd say to Marvel's credit. Um, oh, and, and I think honestly, like a, I mean, part of it's just the like, are you judging the movie or the MCU? Like most of those were right. not really shown in Ultron. Right. But I'll also say, I, I think even just in a few years, if Ultron was released today, mm. that storyline might bo- would probably bother me less. It would right. probably still bother me a little bit, but it would probably yeah. bother me significantly less. Because you're right, we do have, like, you know, um, May has now, we have, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we have a very complex storyline for her that has yeah. nothing to do with these issues at all. You know? Right, and, right. and same with Daisy and same with other characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that I'd say, uh, the you know context matters. Yada yada yada. I, yep. I I buy that. That was part one of Superhero Ethics Podcast on Luke Cage and identity. Stay tuned for episode two coming soon. Meanwhile, you can find more of our podcasts and our blog at superheroethics.com, or by finding us on Twitter or Facebook at that same name, or by searching iTunes for Superhero Ethics. Thanks and stay tuned. Oh, are we... You have to say rolling. Oh, sorry. Uh, We've been recording this whole time. What? (laughs) All right. Yeah, I'm searching for outtakes. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you can edit this part out.